Hello. Hey, Matt. Hi, Chad. How you doing? No, this is this isn't Chad. This is Camille. Hi, Chad. How you doing, Chad? <laughs> how are you feeling, Matt? You don't sound like you don't sound sick. You know what? I'm a professional, uh, so hmm. uh, you know I uh, I put on my A game. You know, it's like you also you you can't hear HPV. <laughs> That's All right. a very good point. We're gonna go right now. Let's do We're it. gonna start this program. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. Greetings. Welcome back to another installment of the Fifth Column Podcast, episode 11. I don't have any catchy titles for this episode just yet because we haven't done it. I don't even know what's going to happen. I'm entirely unprepared. Oh, God, are you really? But delighted to be back with you. I am. I really, really am. I am. It's been a, it's been a difficult day. Uh, I'm Camille Foster of Freethink Media. Thank you uh, for joining us again. Uh, I suppose I should get the warning out of the way. There may be um, explicit language, difficult concepts. <laughs> If there are young children around, they, they should listen very carefully. They, they will never, ever learn to this string is, together ex- expletives. Yeah, this is basically uh, the kids shouldn't listen to this because of the difficult <laughs> concepts. I am uh, not because of the language. I am joined today uh, by uh, Mr. Michael Moynihan of the Daily Beast and Vice News. And uh, I do have some unfortunate news. Uh, Matt Welch, editor of Reason Magazine, is terribly ill. <laughs> so he's dead. Uh, and could not join us in the studio today. Uh, rumors that Matt has contracted uh, Zika. Uh, or something of that sort are entirely unfounded, but could be completely true. Yeah. Um, because he was at the LP convention. Well, your head would start to shrink. That's exactly that's yeah. what I understand. It's like the Beetlejuice disease is what I understand. Yeah. This isn't. I shouldn't joke. A lot of right? lot of science going on in this yeah. episode so yeah. far. Very good at yeah. science. <laughs> um, but in either case, Matt is with us. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily just in spirit. Uh, but joining us via Skype from his sick bed in Brooklyn. At least he says he's sick. I don't believe it. Uh, Matt, thank you. For joining us, Moynihan, thank you for being in the studio and doing exactly what you promised you would do. Gentlemen, how the hell are you? Well, you know, Matt's not doing so great. That's what he Um, says. Because he's uh, like the elitist that he is in his uh, apartment in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, You know, also home home of the Hillary Clinton campaign. (laughs) I'm putting two and two together here and seeing what's going on. Uh, I'm feeling great. Matt, Matt, what's going on? What what do you got? What do you got? I've I've lost five pounds in 24 hours. That's good because you were looking like garbage before, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So now you're thin. Er. it's the new. Uh, it'll be the new uh, Moynihan uh, diet. There's hope for you yet. You just need to projectile vomit constantly. Oh God, that's uh, horrible. And, uh, um, yeah. It, yeah. Well, thank well, you. Well, thank you know, you I mean, we have a lot of topics uh, today yeah. that will make our listeners projectile vomit because <laughs> we are in the middle of an no, election no, season. No, no, no. We inspire oh, hope on, around here, and, and you know who's going to help us inspire hope? Who's um, that? Who has joined us in the studio today for the second time? Yeah, this is only this, this is only the first time someone has joined us twice on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Matt Welch's compatriot, Mr. Anthony Fisher, associate editor at Reason.com, columnist at the week. Hey, guys. Anthony Fisher, thank you for joining us. Happy I, to be here. God, yeah, Short you. notice. I had nothing going Appreciate on. It. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I just, I just let him know. <laughs> I, I he just, was like, I'm already here. Yeah, I'll say this. Is Anthony weird. was sitting in an apartment in Queens, <laughs> like a real working class person, not yeah. like Matt Welch. So. Well, we do. Uh, Anthony can at least uh, vouch for my illness in that uh, we were supposed to go to the Angels-Yankees game uh, last night, was it? It's already blurring it was uh, in my night. mind. Uh, but yeah, we were scheduled to go, and I didn't. And right. it, it takes a lot to keep me away from watching uh, Pete Welch 
put on his full angels regalia and get into <laughs> colorful conversations with and, the uh, n- natives. And I've I've actually gotten quite uh, accustomed to uh, the annual Pete Welch uh, game in the Bronx. It's, uh, Pete I look Welch forward is to it. Uh, Matt Welch's husband. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's his dad. It's, which could it's not his husband, but if it were. Like he love always wins, and he should be able to live whatever sort of lifestyle he sure. wants. Can we talk about something more depressing yeah, than let's, Pete Welch? <laughs> let's pivot. Which is slightly yeah. well. Yeah, we do. We do have a bunch of stories to cover today. Uh, there's a primary contest apparently, and it's uh, it seems to be wrapping up. It is winding it's down. Done. It's very nearly the end. Uh, Bernie Sanders is having a no good, awful, really, really, really bad week. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump is interested in judicial ethnic cleansing, according to the New York Times. Uh, so there, that we should probably discuss that as well. Yeah. Um, and people are spending a lot of time this week misremembering Muhammad Ali, a <laughs> legend, a hero, a champion. Uh, and we will uh, we'll talk about that because I believe Anthony Fisher actually wrote, uh, wrote a piece uh, yeah. talking about the great man, the champion, the anti-war advocate, the tribalist and misogynist, an enthusiastic <laughs> George Wallace supporter. So more on that later. But Matt, but, but while we... You just you can't show your hand I'm, of what you're going to say in the, the segment coming up. I want people up. to tune in. <laughs> I'm I want gonna, them to I'm, stay. I fully intend in. to quote your angry, angry texts that Good. you sent me after Good. reading that. Article. You can't prove that I actually sent those texts. <laughs> That's true. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll get started. But Matt, uh, last week you were uh, on real time with Bill Maher. You went and filled in because Moynihan screwed it up so awful <laughs> the week before. So you went. Uh, how how was that? Is that how you contracted whatever STD it is you have? I. I think so. Yeah, the writers there, you know, uh, yeah. when you go to the after party with them, they just, uh, they lured you. Uh, first of all, they, uh, they they walk into the room and just breathe pot smoke all over your face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of that kind of crowd. <laughs> Which literally, uh, literally happened. Uh, no, I was just thinking, you know, since we went back to back, and my appearance wasn't apparently anything like the uh, shit show of uh, Michael's, which was through no. no fault of Michael's own. It was that he had to be seated seated uh, in any kind of proximity to uh, Wayne Allen Root, the man who went from uh, writing a book in 2005 called Millionaire Republican to, uh, <laughs> to in 2008, becoming uh, uh, improbably the vice presidential nominee of the Libertarian Party. Uh, and now he's uh, walking uh, Donald Trump advertisement yeah. uh, for himself. And he just shouts a lot and and has conspiracy theories about how maybe Barack Obama didn't actually go to Columbia and all kinds of crazy ass shit. But yeah, I want to talk about your appearance. I just want to point out quickly that Wayne, because I love this sort of thing, that Wayne Allen Root, and I, I wrote a column about this and I included it in it for the Daily Beast, is that Wayne Allen Root <laughs> somewhere in this episode called me an elitist. Um, <laughs> and, this is a, and this is a man who has a book, as Matt pointed out, called Millionaire Republican. And later in the episode, he clarified that he went to Columbia and his daughter goes to Harvard. And I'm like, you know, now, as I pointed out in my piece, like I'm in penury and I went to UMass Amherst and I have literally no money and I could barely pay my rent. So fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we know, uh, I, you know, the, but the, uh, since we did back to back and since people who are watching Bill Maher at home, which I do on occasion, uh, it's a, it can be an enjoyable show. Um, they might not get the full sense of it because uh, the beginning of a show, uh, generally speaking, he comes out and gives his monologue and some jokes and uh, almost always at uh, Republicans and conservatives uh, expense and why not uh, and then he interviews somebody usually that he totally agrees with about said topic and um, uh, so last uh, 
on our show, it was with a guy's name, I'm blanking on Nick Howman or something like that, um, who is a early uh, Amazon millionaire and has decided he wants to spread uh, $15 minimum wages across the country. So for 10 minutes, uh, they were talking about how the only people who are against uh, the minimum wage are these trickle-down business people mm. who are trying to cause wage slavery and that there's absolutely no evidence that $15 minimum wages can do any harm ever, and it's all a big lie, and this kind of stuff. So this is kind of setup that you go into, and uh, what is great about it is that, so this is how the, the show kicks off, but what people don't see is how you got there. And I think it's kind of important <laughs> to, uh, to peel back the curtain a little. You get there by flying first class in the yeah. second row. Second row. I've never been like even higher than the 11th row maybe on JetBlue when I asked for more legroom. <laughs> hey, Matt, can I, can I interject and say that I was in the first row? <laughs> and, you know, the full sleeper bed, all that stuff, you know. And, and you don't – I mean, the problem is, is once you go into first class, it's very hard to not be in first class again because when you're there, it is like a massage parlor in <laughs> Bangkok. They, like, do, like, get into bed with you. They give you a back – it's insane. That is it's, not normal. Normal. And this is the and reason that I will always win. do Bill Maher, if, if, no matter who is yelling at me, even if it's Wayne Allen Root, because of that first-class flight. It is amazing. Like uh, the, uh, it, it fills you. It makes you feel like Jesse Meyerson, our communist friend. <laughs> it fills you with such incredible income inequality rage, even though you're enjoying it on the other hmm. side. But it's the only time I ever flown first-class in my life is being ferried across the country to be screamed at by millionaires about income inequality. <laughs> I always, I always feel deep, deep satisfaction when I fly uh, in the front of the cabin, which is every time I fly, because I cannot stand yeah. sitting in coach. I was in the first car on the F train on the way over here. Yeah, yeah that's that's great. That was that's really good. I even, I yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, did no, you get any, get I any manspreaded. Yeah. 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 I was a guy peeing on the floor. <laughs> I would like to do whatever I can to make certain that neither of you guys get um, invited back to the show again. Which is to say, I, think, I think I how, took care of that how last much, time. <laughs> how much I just truly hated it. I mean, watching was painful, Matt. Um, when, when Bill suggested that Bernie Sanders was brave uh, because he's the only presidential candidate who is, uh, who's dared to come on his show. And I, and I understand and get his ass that, a, that a really enthusiastic hand job can be incredibly <laughs> dangerous. It can be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's the chafing. There's a lot you're, of right. chafing. you're right. You could have a stroke. Anything could happen. Uh, but he seemed to survive that. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that doesn't sound like a mark. The, that's not the hallmark of bravery to me. Um, I was also really, really put off by all of the, uh, the wonderful odes to socialism and the denigration of free markets and capitalism, et cetera, et cetera. No mention of Venezuela in any of that. And no mention of, uh, of uh, you know, that one billion people have been lifted out of poverty in the last 25 yeah. years. And they didn't do it by putting a lap belt on uh, <laughs> capitalism, they did it by going in the reverse order. The, the, the dynamic of that show is really, it's challenging, it's fun, I love doing it, and I had a, a good time, but you, you have so many unrebutted moments, and Bill yeah. is, uh, is, and Michael will testify to this too, he is conflicted, because on one hand, he really hates his audience, he genuinely yeah, does like yeah, it. it's true, <laughs> it's true. I, I, as by the way, I, I would say, I like uh, Bill Maher and my interactions have been great he's a really nice guy and you can I mean he he's not I mean he seems to be someone who genuinely believes the things that he believes and does have contempt for the for the seal like audience and the best and I, I would recommend everybody watch this 
is that my my uh, my late uh, uh, friend Christopher Hitchens, who had the greatest moment ever, where he gave the <laughs> finger to the audience, and who said um, with the great kind of you can hear the comma in his voice, and he said your audience, which is frivolous, <laughs> will, will apparently clap at anything, yes. and they start booing him, and he says fuck great. you, and puts his middle finger up, and it's like you know, and and if you notice that in that clip, Mars laughing because uh, and he's actually gone into the audience before because there was some guy yelling at him yep. about 9-11 truth yep. and he actually it was like a wrestling match when he bellowed. No, he physically you know, threw a guy out of his studio yeah no it's a i mean it's a fun show to do beyond the fact they put you in an amazing hotel and they but they get they fly you and they actually pay you by the way and this is what people don't understand in any time even if you have a driver that picks you up to bring you to some sort of tv appearance at cnn or whatever nobody understands that you don't get paid for you this stuff paid. unless no. unless you're a contributor yeah. and so you do a lot of this free labor and Bill Maher is great because you actually get paid for it. So anyway, that's... You get paid, and don't forget about the uh, $100 uh, hotel drink co- coupon, Jesus. which we tore through in about a, uh, a minute and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, <laughs> although I, I bet if we ran the numbers and looked at what your actual hourly rate is for all the time that you put in the check that you get, oh, it's, it's, less like, than min- it's like, less than the minimum oh, wage. Oh, sure. It's a, but, but, so, yeah. 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 Matt, one thing I noticed, and you were talking about unrebutted points, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, of all people, was desperately trying to uh, counter the uh, Bill Maher and Eddie Huang's uh, assertion that only conservatives were anti-science, and I saw you and John Avalon desperately claw- trying to claw back at that. <laughs> and Tyson, I felt sort of kind of sheepishly got in there and said, you know, with GMOs, with uh, vaccines and and Bill Maher like was going, I agree with you, but like he he wouldn't like uh, he wouldn't like really address the point. He was just kind of like it was paying lip service. And he, and this was so obnoxious that Mike, the millennial left wing uh, website took was pissed off at Bill Maher about it. They said like Neil deGrasse Tyson destroys Bill Maher's really? anti-science. Yeah. Well, it's funny and I'll I'll I'm do the promote the last thing that I wrote for the Beast one more time because I mean, I wrote this column and Camille and I had talked about this before that the idea of why people like Donald Trump and the premise of the I mean kind of a halfway joking column is that Americans love bullshit. We are surrounded by bullshit. We marinate in bullshit. In the examples that I use, which just the people that are around me and the people that are around me by and large are sort of, you know, upper middle class uh, liberals, right? So all the things that I mentioned were were science related. And it included things like vitamin C, Mm -hmm. like emergency, these packets. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners of the Fifth Column podcast, (laughs) this does nothing. Vitamin C does not do anything to help. is made up. It just (laughs) does not do anything. This is a Linus Powling scam from the 70s. He also believed that big doses of vitamin C could uh, cure AIDS too. So by the way, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I talked about that and GMOs, um, you know, uh, 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 juice cleanses, all this stuff is voodoo science and it's no science whatsoever believed by people that are around me. The idea that it's just conservatives is wrong. Conservatives do have a the same kind of tenuous grip on science that everybody sure. else has. So. Yeah. And what's yeah. great is that he always, um, I mean, this gets to his... Uh, his uh, conflict with his audience, um, and I, I went out. Someone was laughing when I was defending uh, when I just said Megyn Kelly. I think is good, and they laughed. I'm like, that's that's just not funny. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was <laughs> trying to channel my Hitchens, and and Mar was like was like uh, shaking his head in agreement with me. And from that moment on, he was totally against the audience for the rest of the show, which I appreciate. Um, but uh, he, so we were talking. What precipitated the conversation about science was that he wanted to say that the Zika virus was caused or by uh, global warming and making it worse. And so, therefore, that's why conservatives are evil about science. And so, like, the root thing that we're talking about, when we're talking about how to actually eradicate or deal with the Zika or any kind of mosquito-borne virus, 
let's see, what kills mosquitoes? DDT. A bunch of stuff <laughs> that lefty people, for the most part, are against, right? Um, there's including genetically modified uh, mosquitoes right now. There was a patent that was delayed uh, at the FDA because friends of the earth and some other people went in to try to delay oh my god we can't have franken mosquitoes out there mating <laughs> with our beloved you know cuddly mosquitoes that we all want to keep um and so but he wants to keep reorienting the the conversation to a zero-sum who's worse right team red Absolutely. team blue yeah and i and i it's it's frustrating because you want to say how about that's a hard question to answer i have my own suspicions but how about let's focus on the science on the question that brought this whole thing up to begin with in which team right. blue is kind of fucking it up yeah 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 no it's 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 difficult but i matt since i know i know you've got to run because you need to spread your pestilence um all over the earth by getting on a plane and coughing oh, all God. over people oh, and, and by, by the way you're not discharges you're, of fluids no, from your body Disgusting. Don't use the word discharge. Number one, number two, <laughs> number two. Matt is not going to be in first class, so he's going to be infecting the peasants. Oh, this, right, right, right. Disgusting. Yeah. So this is germ warfare. <laughs> this is this is how we win. This is this is the I, world war. This is one. how we win. <laughs> yeah. I'm weeding the herd. You know. Yeah, good. Gotta, uh, Only the strong it. survive. It makes for a better race. Uh, oh, God. A master. Jesus Christ, Christ man. Hey, <laughs> hey, I'm having fun. Come I'm on. having fun. I'm pushing uh, And you're going to get in the No, no, we're going we're gonna to transition. We're going to transition. We've, yeah, we've, yeah. we've gone. Um, so last night, Matt, um, as, I'm, as I'm sure you know and everyone else here knows, um, we got some results, and we are recording this on Wednesday, releasing on a Thursday. Last night was the Tuesday. There were It was the penultimate uh, primary Yes, contest. DC is next. Because DC, DC is, is last oh, yeah. and next and completely mi- meaningless. Not that it ever has any meaning. Um, but yeah, I mean, even before that, we kind of knew that this was a really bad week uh, for Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Um, this has actually been over for a while. Uh, sure. But last night he got the really bad news that he won in North Dakota and Montana. Uh, by the way, the North Dakota. Did you see the no vote? Place Did you see the vote totals in North Dakota? It was like, it was like five people. <laughs> it was literally like three hundred people. Five people I voted in those that. in those elections. Um, but I mean, his 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 no good, uh, really awful, super miserable week began um, with an AP story on <coughs> Monday, I believe it was, yeah. uh, when we looked at the the Puerto Rico superdelegates um, and some polling of these superdelegates uh, by AP and them and them reporting. Uh, that they believed yeah. that Hillary Clinton had pretty much clenched the nomination and things, it was over, yeah. even before the California primary. Um, now, there was a bit of outrage about this. Uh, there were some uh, Hillary Clinton boosters like Sean King uh, on Twitter who were... Uh, who were you mean tw- Bernie Sanders booster? Bo- Bernie Sanders yeah, booster, yeah. sorry about that. Um, who were very, very uh, emphatic about how awful it was that the AP was inserting themselves into this, uh, this process this way. Um, I wonder if any of you gentlemen uh, agree with the the upset from Sanders supporters um, who uh, who find it deplorable that the Associated Press would would do the unthinkable, um, survey people and then report on those surveys um, and suggest that they have some foreknowledge of the contest that was uh, to come the next day. Anthony Fisher, <laughs> I, uh, I would say that, and again, no dog in this fight, but I think that it's Don't lie. very clear that Hillary Clinton has won fair and square and was always going to win fair and square unless at this point, the only thing that's left is if she gets indicted before the superdelegates actually cast their votes in July, which is tremendously unlikely, but not impossible. But I do think there is something to be said, uh, at least 
I have no problem with AP reporters trying to get ahead of the story, doing their job. They, they're, they're aware of who these superdelegates are. They, they sense that they might be flipping. They want to break a story. That's fine. But I do think that there's something to be said if I was on Team Sanders that this process that was always kind of skewed in Clinton's favor with basically Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC actively doing everything they can to limit Sanders' uh, national exposure with the weird scheduling of the debates early on, just the whole concept of superdelegates in itself, uh-huh. which is a Democratic part, uh, Party phenomenon. Uh, and so on a day, like Glenn Greenwald wrote it, and I, I think he had a very good point, that on a day when nobody actually voted, uh, the AP goes around and reports anonymously sourced party insiders who can be donors, who can be former po- politicians, who can uh-huh. be current politicians, and these are the people that ultimately tip the scales. And I think that there is something to be said about, wow, after we've, do- if we've done this whole democratic song and dance, it's, it's anonymous and it's insider stuff that puts Hillary over the top. But look, I mean, it is anonymous because that's how you report the news sometimes. And you don't get the news mm-hmm. unless you get people saying like, you know, look, I don't want to be public about mm-hmm. this because I'm a super delegate. The issue is for Greenwald and what he should focus on is the fact that the super delegate system is ridiculous. Yeah. And the super delegate system, which basically was put in place so so you wouldn't have another George McGovern situation mm-hmm. like you had in 1972. The party, or a Bernie Sanders. Or a Bernie Sanders situation, yeah, where the party elders um, can say no. I mean, I, mean I, I bet Republicans wish they had superdelegates right now. I bet you they'll have them next time <laughs> so, if they lose So they could so they get rid of somebody like the uh, the repulsive Donald Trump. But, you know, this is what happened, and I mentioned this before, I think I mentioned this before on the show, this is what happened in, in, in 2000. This is the same thing where people are all of a sudden upset by rules and processes that have long existed mm-hmm. because now they've actually come into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody gave two shits about them before. I was very, very funny. There was on Instagram, I saw a post by Ed Drosty, who is the singer for Grizzly Bear. Who I I interviewed at a Bernie Sanders event. Yes, who's a big (laughs) Bernie Sanders supporter and wrote this, you know, 90,000 word post on Instagram about (laughs) the AP uh, uh, reporting what they believed to be true and what turned out to be true because Mm -hmm. they were doing, you know, some legwork journalism. And then you realize that the ultimate problem with this is that people who are now involved in the political process because somebody motivated them to get involved in the process. In 2008, that was Obama. A lot of people that, that first came into the process were Obama. Now it's Bernie Sanders. And they don't understand that there are people out there that know more about this stuff than they do. And their outrage isn't tempered by facts. It's, mm. it's tempered by nothing at all. And it's just generic outrage that their guy is losing. And it's kind of embarrassing to say, like, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Hillary is winning this fair and square by millions of votes by, you know, it's it, look, it's not an impressive campaign when, you know, Bernie Sanders is winning, what, 22, 23 yeah, states. The fact, that, like the that. fact that this guy has made it difficult for sure. her shows how vulnerable she truly Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and the Sanders people are right in, in, in almost every sense that he would, I think, be a better candidate against Donald Trump. I think mm. that's pretty straightforward. And, you know, there wouldn't be an FBI investigation, et cetera. So, you know, they have a point, but the, the process as it existed, like it was the same thing that happened, and we talked about it in this podcast, in the New York primary when people were complaining that they couldn't... Vampire Weekend was going to be enemies with ba- yeah. Mayor exactly. de Blasio if they didn't change exactly. the entire exactly. Democratic Party yeah, rules exactly. about independence voting. People- well, Matt, Matt, I want to I get you to jump in here. I mean, what, what, are, your, uh, what are your takeaways from, from last night, and what do you think about uh, the, the upset about the AP reporting um, on the, the superdelegate's positions? So the uh, the surprising number from last night was 56 to 43, which was Hillary's margin of victory in California. Bernie's 
a last stand was going to be California. People were flirting with the idea, like maybe he's going to pull one out. Uh, he kind of forced her to go there. 56 to 43% is also what she has won nationwide throughout the primary process, which is to say, close, but really actually not all that close. And so, uh, you know, to try to pin what happened on the AP using anonymous reporters, that that suppressed voter counts that if only we did this, they're grasping at straws. And one reason why they are is that, in my estimation, the Sanders campaign from the beginning and from the top of the ticket has, like its predecessors, which I pin as the Ralph Nader campaign in 2000 Mm -hmm. and the Jerry Brown campaign in 1992, um, the intellectual foundation of it, the bedrock of it, is a conspiracy theory. It's a soft conspiracy theory, but it is no less a conspiracy theory. That works like this. We would only have X and Y and Z, and those things can be $15 minimum wage. Those could be equal pay for equal work. They could be whatever wish list that you have on climate change. It's uh, usually the same kind of bucket of ideas that we've been, been kicking around for a long time. We would have those things if only it wasn't for our corrupt campaign finance system. All three of those guys said that over and over again. They keep arguing, Nader keeps arguing, after how many times he's smashed his face up against the reality of it, that all of these ideas are majoritarian. We would have gun control you know, much stronger than we do right now if only the evil corporates with their corporate money uh, hadn't corrupted the entire process. And so as soon as we get that out, we take out that magic uh, you know, bullet away from the bad guys, then we will win. And so there is a there's a an opening belief that everything about the system is rigged for that reason. Now there are some, I guess, some truths to that reason, that that line of thinking, but really not a whole lot because those ideas really aren't majoritarian ideas to begin with. That's why, for the most part, uh, you know, socialists have been very <laughs> successful running for president in this country. Kind of thank God, even though I have uh, my own soft spots for Bernie, and I appreciate what he's injected into the campaign. But the idea that there is just um, that suddenly everyone is going to embrace the progressive left agenda if only we take these technocratic fixes to the process yeah. is fan- fantasy and it's always going to be fantasy and so the type of people who believe that are then going to believe well it's just the superdelegates well it's ap in collusion with it with team hillary and they're going to be nursing this for the next six weeks until the uh, until the convention i'm pretty sure you know this is the thing about i mean whether this is an affliction that is more common amongst the left or the right is debatable, but it's the old Marxist concept of false consciousness. The idea that if the people were not infected by sort of capitalist reporting, this capitalist system, they would be on our side. It's excuse makes making for the fact that your ideas do not take off in a sort of broad-based way. Conservatives have the same thing when, in the Brent Bozell world when they say that, you know, the reason that Bill Clinton gets elected in 92 and 96, the reason that Barack Obama in 2008, 2012, is because we have a liberal media that is suppressing the sort of natural conservative inclinations of the American electorate, and it does not reflect, this is why you get this thing with elitism, and, and you know, it's everything is, you know, conservatives do, it's it's all, you know, um, in back rooms, in uh, uh, cocktail parties, yeah, yeah, I mean, right? I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm still hearing that Obama was not vetted 
And yeah, Obama's yeah, sure. been president for seven and a half years. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it's it's that if if you didn't focus enough on Jeremiah Wright, if mm. you didn't demand that Columbia release uh, records that it had no uh, obligation to release, then therefore it is. And this is what you're happy you're seeing now with the Sanders people is it is this idea of false consciousness. Is that everybody likes a single payer option? Everybody likes a fifteen dollar minimum wage. Everybody likes Bernie. He has the momentum, but the apparatus exists as such to prevent. A, a outsider, radical candidate from existing. And there's a tiny, as Matt said, there's a tiny bit of truth to that because these superdelegates are evidence of that mm-hmm. and they are explicitly exist to prevent that from mm-hmm. happening. But the larger apparatus that su- supposedly exists to prevent Bernie Sanders or a radical candidate actually did not prevent a radical candidate yeah. on the Republican side this time. Right. But, you know, in, in the media has been four square um, against Donald Trump, you know, contrary to what a lot of people say, that he's been given a softball ride. No, he's yeah, just no, popular he with voters. He hasn't. And, he, and, 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 and there's been a ton of reporting for Donald Trump, but overwhelmingly, and I, I think we've talked about it on this podcast before, overwhelmingly that, that reporting has been negative. Yeah. Oh my God, about the yeah. awful yeah. things that he has But said then the excuse is, well, you've given him oxygen anyway. And, right. and, and things that would have normally been deal breakers, like him posing as his own PR guy. Yeah. That was a great story and gone in a day. Gone in a day. <laughs> and this is, I, I, I've, said this, I've said this on this podcast, and I've said this over and over and over, and it's worth repeating one more time, is that in a normal world, with a normal <laughs> electorate who is not a bunch of dopes, you would, the more oxygen you give Donald Trump, the more his poll numbers crater. Yeah. And in America in 2016, for some reason, the more oxygen you give this sociopath, his numbers go up. That is not the fault of the media. That is the fault of the American electorate. And why that exists is the subject of a much larger uh, <laughs> book, perhaps. Yeah, there is there is something to be said uh, for the uh, responsibility um, of the electorate in all of this. And, and oftentimes that gets lost in the criticisms of the media yeah. uh, broadly as, the, you know, the media just isn't talking about the important issues. Um, so I, I don't know if the story disappeared too quickly, um, but I, I've got serious questions about the stuff that they focus on in these campaigns anyways. But before we go, um, and this is maybe a, a bit of a transition, um, one of the things that also happened to Bernie Sanders this week is he was uh, outed as a misogynist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we yeah. had an AP, <sighs> an AP reporter. Yeah, New York Times, New York Times, Times, New York Times reporter. reporter. Correct. Thank you. Thank you. What's Accuracy is important here. What's her name? Al, some weird name. I can't yeah. remember. Hey, Yikes. that's racist. <laughs> well, actually, it's not. Well, <laughs> racist isn't the word. But at any rate... Um, um, but this New York Times reporter um, who uh, asks a question uh, of Mr. Sanders at a rally, um, and she asks whether or not um, he his his refusing to drop out of the race after this AP reporting um, was anti-woman. Yeah, and, and we said uh, it was sexist, and I think that it might even have been before the AP story. I'm not sure. And I think it was, this was after the AP story. After the story, story. Pr- before the primary. But before the primary. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. before the primary, yeah. he's being asked what happens. And and Bernie's immediate response to this, to which laugh. I love, <laughs> yeah. which is to laugh and say, is that a serious question? A serious question. She doubles down and suggests it yeah. is, in fact, a serious question. Some folks have defended this as a responsible and thoughtful question. I suspect we all would agree that it is obnoxious and silly and yeah. totally ridiculous, um, oh. but this stuff like has a lot been of people defended about the campaign. Did you find you found you found people? That I defended, did totally right? find people. Yeah, that defended. I, I was really shocked by it. Um, somebody that we we're hoping to have on the podcast actually um, uh, defended it. Somebody oh. we talked about. Oh. Uh, we won't mention her yeah, name no because we hope we hope she comes on. Yeah, but there were people that defended this as uh, uh, Bernie was in classic Bernie mode, and it is really really funny to see a man of the old left, <laughs> a man of the sixties seventies, you know. Central America, get out of 
El Salvador and Nicaragua left, you know, Marxist stuff. Breadlines are good. Yeah, yeah. breadlines are good, <laughs> but it's pre sort of pre identity politics yeah. in a way. And in saying like, is that a, wait a second? Is that a serious question? You're calling me a sexist because I have invested a year and millions of dollars and, you know, every day of my life in this campaign. And I want to stay through the convention. And he should, by the way, because he has affected more change on the Democratic Party side than anybody else. And why should he get out? And, and you know, well, you're you're withholding the nomination yeah, from yeah. from a woman. So therefore, you must be Bobby Riggs. On MSNBC <laughs> last night, when after Hillary's, uh, you know, acceptance speech of something she has not yet been awarded, uh, all they could talk about, all Joy Reid and Chris Matthews could talk about was, isn't this incredible, the woman thing that she's really, and she's really, embr- like, in 2008, she ran as the national security candidate, but now she's running as a woman, and th- they kept stressing it, yeah. even more than she was in her sure. uh, acceptance speech. And I think that this whole, I think we're going to see a whole lot more of this as, as she's going to start competing against a true a true misogynist, which yeah. Bernie Sanders is not, yeah. to my, to, from what I can see. Yeah. But I do think we're already starting to, and again, I'm not, I don't want to play into media conspiracies, but there's a New York Times reporter putting this question to Bernie, and it was the it was the MSNBC anchors that couldn't stop talking about the fact that Hillary Clinton was a woman. They basically talked about nothing else after her speech. Yeah. Well, the reason his his response stood out to me is because the appropriate sort of uh, uh, I, I hate the phrase social justice warrior, but I'll use it anyways. Yeah. Um, but the social justice warrior approved response would have been, look, I, I understand why you would ask a question like yeah. that. But yeah. this is this is a serious He didn't issue. have enough feels. But that's not it. But he's had difficulty navigating these waters all throughout the primary. Black Lives Matter. All throughout. That, yeah, um, yeah, because yeah. he thinks he's talking about the most important issue, which is our shared impoverishment. Exactly. Um, and yeah. the disadvantage we all suffer at the hands of the uh, of the vast conspiracy that uh, our friend Matt Welch uh, alluded to earlier. Matt, I, I wonder if you saw this. I'm sure you did. Uh, do you do you have thoughts to share on this matter, Matt? Uh, going back to the um, the comparison with Ralph Nader, who I covered in 2000, uh, uh, the campaign, you, he kept going Ralph on, Nader, uh, 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 kept getting uh, uh, brushing up against this for the same exact reason, because he's a 75 year old white guy with hair coming out of his ears, who's been uh, you know a good progressive forever ever, and he doesn't, he's not steeped in identity politics. He comes from that older era, so like. People back then would say, you know, hey, Ralph, what about the gay rights? And he would throw it uh, equal rights, equal responsibilities. That's what he would always answer that question with, which yeah. is to say, um, yeah, sure, um, but also, you know, put up your end of the bargain, and I would love to change the subject. What's next? Yeah. Uh, he, he always wanted to talk about the systemic analysis of things, which is actually kind of more classically Marxist than anything else. And I have some sympathy for that, and it's, it shows how much – the ground has moved uh, underneath our feet in the last eight years. Maybe there's a longer time frame of it, but it, it really feels like it's accelerated. Just think of the the regress of, of uh, you know websites like Salon.com, which was you know it was it was a politically incorrect sure. um, you know web magazine in the 90s. It was super interesting. It was always making fun of people's racial hangups, <laughs> not like uh, racist hangups, but like. Uh, Kind of, uh, he was making fun of social justice warriors before there were such a thing. Yeah, um, they, they employed David Horowitz back then too. Remember, remember that yeah. he was writing a column and, in the and 90s. Camille Pogley and the rest. And yeah. and so you see that. And now all they do is just it's a clickbait trolling for people who are uh, insufficiently anti-racist constantly. And that's where we are. And that's also how Hillary is going to try to win because. There's no enthusiasm for her among people under the age of about 130. Uh, and so what's going to speak to millennials who otherwise don't like her at all and liked Bernie for um, 
a mix of things, but one one is certainly his sort of genuineness about him, which is something that you can't have. And so the the way that you reach millennials is that you say, hey, look, we know that you hate racism and sexism um, almost more than anything. Um, and look at the other guy. And we got a woman. Um, and that's how – so we're going to hear five months of this. But, I mean, uh, and I'll end with this because i got to go catch a plane and, and infect a bunch of Canadians. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, is – uh, is that wow? I just uh, I lost my train of thought. Well, Matt, I t- <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you this: to, to your uh, Ralph Nader point, you I don't know if you saw this story, but but you're right on the money because Ralph Nader gave an interview to Politico uh, this week, and this is a quote from from the Politico interview: "I think this whole identity politics ought to be used to fight corporate power. This identity politics is an implosion phenomenon that gets more and more bitter over less and less." At one time, there were very serious situations where students were getting beat up in the South and getting excluded, per se, from Harvard. Those were really serious discriminatory practices. So Nader, to your point, is right. This is the sort of Sanders-Nader old left that is kind of baffled by this sort of – I mean, he goes on to talk about trigger warnings and things like that, which makes no sense to somebody like uh, Ralph Nader or Bernie Sanders, both of whom um, are you know true blue kind of 68 or leftists. Amen. Amen. Guys, yeah. see you. Have a good podcast. All right, Matt. Get out of here. Thanks, Matt. He's so so good at Matt. To, so to, great of, to great of him. Great of him. But he really didn't sound sick. And I mean, no, apart from full, him sort of full. having that old man moment at the end there, <laughs> he just could not yeah, remember what really, he was talking that's not, about. That's fine. not sickness. That's totally just fine. age. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I do want to pivot away uh, from, this, from this topic uh, because I think it's actually a pretty good segue um, into uh, a bit of Trump talk. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should just call it that. I should say it in a sexier voice. Trump talk. That doesn't work. <laughs> no, it doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, it is really <laughs> unsexy. You should get a, like a, an audio clip when Trump says his own name. For some yeah. reason, it's really disturbing. It's got a real thud yeah. uh, sound <laughs> to it. Lands and, with a thud. And if you yeah. just, if you could just get him saying the words Trump and talk and make that the uh, the intro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, definitely when he's referring to himself in the third person. That's that's when it really mm. lands. Just Trump hard. makes Have, deals. Uh, but. But the uh, talk this week um, has largely been about um, this uh, this case that is pending against against Trump, and I think it's wonderful that there are um, actual lawsuits and criminal investigations mm-hmm. of the two leading candidates for yeah. the White House. Right. There's something poetic and wonderful about mm-hmm. that. Um, but I, I digress. <laughs> um, but but a lot of the talk this week has been about this Trump University case, which will not go away, um, and the fact that Donald Trump's approach to trying to fight this case, rather than just in the courtroom, is to send his surrogates out and to charge them explicitly to both defend the university and to denigrate the judge who is presiding over this sure. case, specifically because, as Donald Trump describes it, this man has a conflict of interest, quote unquote. Uh, as a consequence of his ethnic background. Um, I I know that you guys have been following this story closely, as have I. Um, my, my first thought when I heard this was, well, wow, this is a little weird. I mean, I remember Sonia Sotomayor, like when she was being considered for the Supreme Court and a lot of the conversation around her and the things that she had explicitly said were endorsements of the very idea that ethnic background um, and other factors would have some consequence mm-hmm. on the kind of jurisprudence that were taking place in the court. Um, and, and at the time, it was greeted as, well, yeah, that's true. Of course it's true. We need diversity on the bench. That kind of meaningful 
ethnic diversity is precisely what we need to make certain that we're getting the fair outcomes. Now, granted, I know that we would probably employ a broader definition of diversity here, like one mm. that actually reflects ideology, um, which gives you an even better chance, I think, at getting to hopefully good um, outcomes. But, but at any rate, um, I don't know how people who are being critical of, of Donald Trump, and, and let, me, let me say, I mean, I think his pushback against the court is authoritarian and kind of gross and disgusting. Unfortunately, it's also not unprecedented. We did have uh, Bill Clinton, um, who, when he first got into office, was similarly um, had civil, a civil case pending against him and suggested there was some sort of presidential immunity uh, that prevented people from <laughs> suing him. So no controlling we've seen authority, people try to do this. Yeah. Um, but I, I wonder, I mean, obviously what Trump is doing is disgusting and deplorable, but doesn't that make that other thing pretty disgusting and deplorable? Too? And by the way, to the point about Clinton, it is the Nixonian thing um, where, where uh, Nixon said in that interview with uh, David Frost, he said, well, if the president does it, it's not illegal. Yeah, um, so I think I think Trump has a bit of that coursing through his veins, too. But to your point about Sotomayor is that she was reacting, incidentally, and she'd been saying this for some time, she was reacting to what Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, two kind of, not really polls, but, you know, right and left on the court, said that, you know, I expect a, a male judge and a female judge would, you know, come up with the same outcome. And her response was, um, I would hope that a wise Latina woman with the richness of her experiences would more often than not reach a better conclusion than a white male who mm -hmm. hasn't lived that life. So, you know, I think that Trump's... Um, um, comments are rightfully being excoriated by everybody left and right. I think they're absolutely disgusting on, in every possible way. And I think that one of the things that people should acknowledge about this and, you know, won't, is that it's kind of a liberal position. It is. This idea that somebody is ruling based on their ethnic heritage in the sense that you've experienced this, Camille, as somebody who is a non-black black man. <laughs> what you, when you say certain things on television, on the radio, on this podcast, um, you're going to get it on, on Twitter that says, how can you have that opinion based on your skin color, which uh -huh. is essentialism of the worst kind, which is collectivism of the worst kind. So none of this actually surprises me as much as it, it supposedly surprises other people. People are out there saying, I can't believe this. I think it's horrible and I think it's disgusting and I think it, it you know, should disqualify him in a lot of ways. Hmm. Um, but I don't think it's, it, it surprises me in the sense that, you know, we were just talking about this. You watched the OJ series, right? Mm-hmm. The FX one. They do a bit in this, which is in Jeff Tubin's book, about making sure they get a downtown jury. Mm -hmm. They right. don't want it in Simi Valley, whereas white, because they presume people based on their skin color will rule a certain way. Donald Trump is doing the same thing. He is wrong, and he is is being you know especially disgusting about it. The fact that he says that this judge is Mexican. He's not Mexican. He's American. He was born three thousand miles from Mexico. <laughs> I mean, this stuff is horrible on every level. But you know, it reminds me of the old anti drug ad of the kid, you know, who's smoking pot and his dad comes in and he says, you know, where did you learn this? And he says, I learned it from watching you, dad. Although, There's although this bit the of case, this that I learned that they yeah. learned from, from watching people who think that your race determines how you think. Although, it does not. In the case of the OJ trial, I mean, there, there are certainly times when it does, in fact, influence how you think where you're, sure. because your tribal allegiance, it's not, it's not genetics. That's it's right. tribal allegiance. That's right. And That's if your tribal point. allegiance is sufficiently strong, yeah. you will find a situation where say, I don't know, sure. 90 6% of all people who identify as black vote one way. Yeah. And anyone who doesn't 
isn't actually black. And they're, you're speaking about the, li- the liberal motivations, not to say that the L.A. District Attorney's Office was liberal per se, but the reason that they insisted on a uh, downtown jury rather than a uh, Santa Monica jury, Santa Monica jury was yeah. because they didn't think that the public would would consider a Santa Monica guilty verdict that's, legitimate. That's so, right. So that's right. Were, and that's especially, and again, to, yeah. to put it in context, it was, right. it was after the Simi Valley verdict of, of yeah, the yeah. Rodney King, King beating. But We're, the idea, but just the, the, the overall point, and, and, and to, I mean, I could go off on Donald Trump's idiocy, you know, kind of accepting all this stuff and, and, and forgetting about Sotomayor's comments and the rest of it. But it is important to realize that this stuff is not, you know, does not come out of a vacuum in some sure. way. That the idea that this guy cannot rule, but by the way, think, take this idiotic way of thinking to its logical conclusion. You know, what race is allowed to adjudicate what other race? I mean, yeah. what is he going to do? Some sort of well, fucking T well, chart? Well, this, this the Italians and Irish <laughs> in Boston used to have a problem. They can't judge, you know. Trump's quote unquote uh, anti PC revolution, where he, you know, he says what he thinks and he offends everybody, yeah. is literally now going to limit himself demographically to only being judged by orange skinned, yeah. um, you know, yeah, German American fake billionaires. Yeah, yeah. 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 exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But what do you guys think about this? I mean, I think the interesting thing about this is the response. I mean, I'm wondering yeah. if, if is this what just people are looking for something? Because now we're basically in the general with two candidates and they're, we're looking for something. And, you know, I was telling Camille this. I was trying to kind of peer in to see what the conservatives were, were thinking about. This. And I listened to Hugh Hewitt this morning. And he was like, this is disqualifying. He's done. Get rid of him. Get him. I mean, this is Hewitt who has, been, has said, I am not a never Trumper. I think he can change. And mm. he said, this is hideous, horrendous, disqualifying. You're attacking a federal judge based mm. on absolutely nothing. It, and I'm seeing this enormous, I mean, it's been a very bad week for Trump, this enormous groundswell of left and right opinion. You even have Paul Ryan saying the comment is is the textbook definition of a racist comment. Oh, and by the way, I'm still going to support him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this is what we talk, I mean, you know, we've talked about, you know, that uh, there's, you know, you've described a certain never Trumpism as uh-huh. kind of hysterical. Um, and, you know, I, I tried not to get involved with that. But I do think that when it comes down to it, the, the temper, Trump's temperament in, in, is, is expressed in sentiments like this, which right. should be disqualifying. That's I know right. it won't be. I know yeah. it's going to be a competitive general election. I, 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 I'm filled with despair that these are our choices. But this is truly awful. But Camille, does it hurt him? Mark Kirk, <laughs> unendorsed. Right. I mean, yeah. are other people going to unendorse at this point? I, I don't know. And I, and I'm, I think what they're hoping for is that it will go away. And if past this prologue, that is precisely it's what will totally happen. It's totally going to go away. Um, because all of these stories go away. Um, but I, look, I here's where I agree with with you guys um, and with the mainstream perspective. Trump is dangerously ignorant. Um, he has uh, an a remarkable capacity for saying really, really ridiculous and offensive things. Um, and he even endorses criminal behavior and things like torture and threatening and killing the families of uh, the same category of people, um, of t- terrorists, it, I'm suggesting. Um, but the standard appears to be that so long as you're willing to do these things cordially um, and talk about them in a polite way and employ the right euphemisms, then it's fine. Because the truth of the matter is that previous administrations have, in fact, practiced torture. Sure. But I don't um, think that, I... that previous that previous administrations. Oh, in fact, the current administration had a policy of carrying out these double tap drone strikes, mm-hmm. where whereas you attacked the the target you intend to kill, mm-hmm. and then you wait until other people come and you kill them too, which were reported in the New York Times. Like that seems to me, if not disqualifying for holding the office. 
perhaps some sort of impeachable offense. Like that is a real thing that mm -hmm. is happening. And when I see there was a piece in Slate, um, let me see if I can remember. I, I think I've got it pulled up here. Um, Ten things every politician who endorses Donald Trump should have to uh, be forced to defend. I mean, the list is 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 not that long. I mean, ten is not that long. And, it begins with banning Muslim, yeah. right? And banning Muslims is the deplorable and awful sure. and ridiculous thing to say. It's yeah. heinous, and I hate it. Yeah. And the goal, what I'm suggesting here, isn't that he is sort of as bad as everyone else. He might be even more worse. But at this point, we're only talking about rhetorically, because some of these other people. Um, and Hillary Clinton, who was a member of this administration um, before declaring um, and running for office, uh, like she is culpable for a lot of those things sure. as well and defends the foreign policy record of the Obama administration. I think that if you, the comparison of saying like drone strikes, for instance, um, I mean, are in some ways, depending on what they are. Uh, defensible, right? I mean, you can sure. make you can yes. make a defense. Totally. Um, I am very skeptical of a lot of this stuff, uh, and you know, we have seen so many errors and so many like you know the Alawakwi thing of you know sort of killing American citizens that are you know in a country that we're not engaged in war with in Yemen, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot of problematic and stuff here. Anyone who's of age is an enemy combatant, yes. no yeah, matter sure. what, yes. including yeah. including yeah. his son too. Yeah. Um, you know, and that stuff is deeply disturbing in a lot of ways. But you can find. A lot of people that agree with this and say we are in the middle of a war right now, et cetera. It doesn't make it right, right? The the stuff that it, it sounds so alien to our ears to say an entire religion, 1.6 billion people um, should not uh, be allowed to travel in this country, including the new uh, mayor of London, for instance. Yeah. So, I mean, it is. it, it seems so crazy. Uh, for us to 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 hear this because they they seem like different categories. Mm -hmm. Whereas you know I think the intellectual ex exercise that Slate is playing is, is is a good one because, you know, will he be able to ban Muslims? No, he won't. Right? Will he be I able mean, to, to create a wall? Already backed off, off the ridiculous yeah, yeah, position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, and but like anyway. there's going to be a list, and we're going to you know he doesn't know what the hell he's talking it's about. No idea. And it's not. And, and is this stuff going to happen? No. But I do think the Slate exercise is a useful one in saying, can you defend this stuff? And if you, because it comes to the Paul Ryan point, because Paul Ryan says, you know, this is objectively, this is a pretty racist statement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm behind this guy. Wait, okay, hold on. Mm -hmm. So what is disqualifying? I mean, you know, these days I think it's funny because people say, oh, my God, if he said, if you say he said something is racist, then right. you should, it's, that is totally disqualifying because that's the worst thing you can be in 2000. It's a career ender for anything except for, anything. for a Republican presidential <laughs> well, that's actually, that's actually true. Yeah. There is something weird, though, even the word in this case, in this context, racist. Um, I mean, it is it makes me think of George Wallace and, and Bull Connor. And the truth is that if this is racist, it is no more racist than what Sonia Sotomayor said. Like the context is different um, and perhaps the sentiment is different. But the 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 fundamental premise is the same premise that racial identity, et cetera, are things that factor into the decision-making that we do. And for, for me, what really bothers me isn't so much that that sentiment exists. That is a real sentiment manifested on the left and the right, apparently, as we pointed out. Uh, for me, it's the authoritarianness of it all. The yeah. fact that he thinks that he can intimidate um, this particular court into giving him a good outcome. Yeah. Um, that's the real, the real problem here. He just doesn't like the outcome. And effectively, anyone who got up there would be potentially problematic for him um, if they weren't voting for him 
and simply weren't giving him a good outcome. And he said, you know, this is something that doesn't come up because there aren't uh, many Muslim judges. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think any on the federal level. But but saying that um, a Muslim judge could, n- could not uh, uh, adjudicate a case in which he was involved right. because he said he wanted to ban family. I mean, the, the solution to that, by the way, is not saying that you're going to ban an entire religion from traveling to the United States of America. But, <laughs> you know. What I find incredible is that Chris Christie stood up for this. And Chris Christie's, like, only moment uh, other than hugging Barack Obama a week after Hurricane Sandy that was applauded by liberals in like the last six years was standing up uh, against a Republican constituency in New Jersey in support of a Muslim judge. I don't think it was a federal judge. That's right. But That's right. he got huge kudos for saying this is ignorance. This guy's an American. He's a Muslim. He's a great judge. I, he has my full support. And yet with this Trump statement, he's been like, it's not racist. For Christie, by the way, and and um, I haven't seen the Anthony Weiner documentary. Apparently it's, great. Apparently it's amazing. Everything. And it's, it's, on, it's on video on demand, by the way, released mm-hmm. Uh, simultaneously, so uh, go watch it. I hear it's amazing, but I listened to him on um, Alec Baldwin's podcast, and he's like endlessly fascinating. And what I ended up respecting about Wiener at the end of it is that the guy is pathological in so many ways, but he's pretty consistently pathological. Mm-hmm. I look at someone like Chris Christie, and I see a big blob of everything that's wrong with American politics, and you see him fending off these charges of being buddy-buddy with Obama after Katrina. They were holding hands on the beach, and they were crying, <laughs> and they made out, and it was like an officer and a gentleman at the end. I mean, and then then, you know, you see him in this hostage video behind Donald Trump. And yet, like <laughs> this guy who has said these things about a Muslim judge. And now because he is a shameless, shameless suck up to power yeah. that he will not. I mean, like there's no consistency and there's no principle. That's why I can say I respect Bernie Sanders, despite the fact that I wrote a very mean piece about <laughs> Bernie Sanders. I don't respect his political views. We are at a point now that I actually respect any politician who doesn't, you know, waver depending on who the nominee sure. is. Who's in my, Paul Ryan, I mean, who is came into office as the Speaker of the House as two things, the intellectual backbone of the Republican Party because he was smart and he was an economist and understood economics and knew Bastiat, et cetera, and somebody who was principled. And what do we see now? Flapping in the wind, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. I mean, you don't, because yeah. you just have to say whatever that disgusting orange goblin breathes, <laughs> everyone's going to say, well, okay, maybe if he, you know, I should be on his side because there's a possibility he wins. And then you got the other kind, which is Lindsey Graham, who was a never Trumper, then came around, now seems to be flipping back again. I don't know what that guy stands for. Besides- uh, his, his, by the way, his, it's, it's funny because, you know, I was thinking about this today. I heard the clip actually was on Hewitt's show of, of, of um, uh, Lindsey Graham talking about uh, uh, all the things that Donald Trump had done wrong. And he said, you know, he offends uh, women, uh, minorities. Uh, uh, Muslims. And then I think I, I talked to, you know, like the sort of Greenwald types and, and, and you know, libertarian uh, sort of anti-war types. And their most hated person is Lindsey Graham yeah. because of wars that he insists on waging in the Middle sure. East or supporting in the Middle East, in which the victims are primarily Muslims. <laughs> so it's a, it's a weird, I mean, politics is one of those weird things is that there's no consistency to anything. And it's people just trying to keep their jobs. And if Donald Trump wins... You know, Paul Ryan wants to wants to remain Speaker of the House. He's being primaried. He's not going to. He's popular in his district. It's not going to be a problem. But the the Republican Party writ large, 
I mean, but think about but think about again Trump's temperament, and then a guy like Chris Christie with no principles as a potential attorney general, right? Yeah. As, as, as the yeah. guy who could be going around, like, like a guy who has forcibly resisted the will of his own people who have who voted to legalize medical marijuana, but which basically he and uh, the apparatus that he's got in New Jersey has made it, made it basically impossible for anyone to get it. There's like yeah. two open dispensaries; they're open two days a week. This guy could be the attorney general. Can I say one small, brief, twenty second thing in defense of uh, Chris Let's Christie? See, it took never, more than 20 seconds to say that. I will never <laughs> – 20 seconds after I'm done. Uh, I will never defend him with the exception of that the one good thing that, that he did in New Jersey was an insistence upon more drug courts, which yeah. is better than the previous regime. Fair enough. So – but, yeah. you know, mm. but still, I mean, yeah. this is a this is a Yeah, better better but, a far, better but a far cry from uh, just legalization. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is a much, much better <laughs> idea. Throwing, uh, throwing people who are not, in fact, addicts. Um, into treatment programs, forcing them to go to treatment programs is ridiculous. Yeah, also and, true. And the vast majority of people who use illegal drugs are not addicts. And drug courts also are a whole lot easier. Uh, th that whole process are a whole lot easier if you have means. Uh -huh. And if you don't, you yep. know, like I, I know yep. Trey Anastasio from Fish is like, well, I'm alive because of uh, drug courts. It's like, you're also alive because you're a millionaire. <laughs> you don't have a job to go to, you know, and you can, yeah. you know. Yeah, you yeah. do, but it's playing a vacuum cleaner on stage. <laughs> but this but this was not uh, this was not planned. Sorry for that uh, digression as well. Yeah. Uh, although it was interesting. It's a good one. And important. Come on. I, I made a good point, damn it. Let's do it again. Um, <laughs> um, misremembering Muhammad Ali. I mean, so, it could it could also be you know you, heavyweight you, heavyweight champ whitewashing <laughs> the whitewashing of Muhammad Ali when you when you when you Cassius when, Clay when you write a blog post that you intended to be five hundred words I'm and ends up being twelve hundred words. Oh, look at this! He's, you can't see this. He's defending himself. I am. Yeah. He's defending all right, himself. All right, so look, I'll, I'll just give you a setup. Sure. And then you can do your thing. Yeah, he's, and I'll he's, tell you why you're Muhammad Ali. Rope a dope. That's right. That's exactly what I'm doing rhetorically. Muhammad Ali has passed away. Um, as happens so often in our um, culture and society, as we remember this man, uh, we lionize him, we purify him, we uh, take his visage and we pour bronze and gold all over it. And what we see is a man who stands there without imperfections. He's perfect and wonderful. He was anti-war. He was a crusader for justice. Um, and he was a fearless champion in the ring who just inspired us all and did great and profound and wonderful things. Um, the truth is almost always a hell of a lot more nuanced than that. And oftentimes you don't really get a chance to talk about it. And you saw it with like the likes of like Nelson Mandela passing away. Mm -hmm. um, you get these, again, just these glowing obituaries about, about folks um, after they've passed. And for whatever reason, people just don't seem to be willing to talk about some of those other, those other uh, things. Um, Prince is another one. I mean, granted, you're sad, um, but it's worth noting that he was a crazy person um, who talked about things like chemtrails. Uh, but that that and, all popped up in, that day, the yeah, day he well, died. Some, we were some talking of it about did. some I mean, of it. Yeah. Did. Some of it did. But but um, but specifically with Ali um, and Fisher, you wrote uh, a remembrance of Ali. So I'd love for you to talk to us about the decisions that you made. Yes. When you wrote your post <laughs> uh, and the things that you uh, chose to omit. All right, yeah. All right. Like so the misogyny I, and I the tribalism. Did, yeah. Well, how, how about this? How about, how about I work backwards? All right. I'm, I'm, I'm actually team Joe Frazier. I think what happened. I think, I think what yeah. Ali did to Frazier was terrible. Frazier gave him money when Ali was uh, banned from boxing. Uh, 
Frazier, you know, like Ali said terrible uh, racist things about Joe Frazier, about his darker skin, mm. implied that he was a, an Uncle Tom. Despicable stuff. And Joe Frazier never. That's actually racist. Yeah, Frazier <laughs> never forgave him. Frazier, I, I, Frazier had a great line in 96 when Ali, stricken with Parkinson's, was lighting the uh, Olympic torch. Frazier said, if I was up there, I would have pushed him in. Right? <laughs> uh, and I, Is I, that know, true? Yeah, yeah. 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 That's I, great. Right. So, so, Joe I, doesn't forgive him. I, right, so, I so, met Joe Frazier. So, 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 so working back. Nation of Islam, plenty of stuff to say about that. It's pretty, you know, there's, there's, there's things that are believed by the Nation of Islam and that were practiced by the Nation of Islam when Ali was part of it uh, in the 60s. Totally vile. Uh, like you said, his uh, Ali's supportive segregation, disgusting. I, I mean, didn't, went, I didn't, went I didn't, so far as to say... George like, Wallace got it right. George Wallace is getting it right. Yeah. He he defended the apartheid regime in South Africa, yeah. and he did qualify these statements. Yeah. But I mean, if you listen to the qualifications, there's these... Well, you know, obviously, I don't want people to be left out in yeah. the cold and not to have good yeah. things. But look, I can't go into another man's country and mm. tell him how to run that country. I can't... I can understand why you would want to have an all-white enclave. You should have that, and we should have our all-black enclaves. I only want to be around my people. This I is an, be this is an Ali Scent. This is you're Ali. Doing, you're yeah. doing an Ali scent. Yes. Uh, um, so that's actually just Camille. So I, I don't know. What <laughs> I saw some Louisville, but hey, if, if I may, the, I did not sit down to write the definitive Ali. Uh, uh, right. You know, uh, lionized. This. This. Like, first of all, I understand. When, I, understand. When I was out of town this weekend. I was doing a lot of drinking. <laughs> all right. I was asked to write something. I didn't get around to it until three days later. And by the time I got around to it, almost everything had been said, except for the fact that, and this was, it was more a take about celebrity anti-war advocacy. Yeah. And what I thought of was, I was like. In the 50 years since Ali chose to said take me to jail rather than put me in the military I yeah. said I can't think of another celebrity or athlete uh, anti-war advocate who was as effective as Ali and that yeah. was the that was the spine of my piece so it was Jane Fonda riding a tank in Hanoi or Michael Moore making an obnoxious speech at the Oscars none of these things yeah. really moved the needle as far as anti-war sentiment whereas in my piece I pointed to a Gallup polls that showed that right literally in the three months after Ali said I'm not going to war that was when anti-war sentiment started to turn. It was not when uh, Walter Cronkite said uh, the, we're fighting. This is a stalemate. It wasn't after Milai. It was when it, Ali was the turning point, and Ali was a 24-year-old, not rich guy yet, who gave up the prime of his career. So I wanted to focus only on that particular part of it, and not even. I, and I do understand that there's more that could have been gotten to it. That it, the fact that the Nation so, of Islam was informing his anti-war I hear policies. So look, I was talking look, about his I'm, effective advocacy. All, all of that. Is fine right. and good. I said my piece. I'm gonna calm and, down. And, right? I, and I'm and I want you to know that I didn't I didn't bring you in here to, to sabotage you. I'm having some fun. I'm with sad you. this week. But huh? I do want to or, say or that I'm causation <laughs> and correlation, because there are economists out there who are thinking it. Yeah. Are not the same thing. And the fact that opinions changed after he said he ain't going. Yeah. I don't know. Not, I'm just saying. Let, let me make a quick point about I'm kidding. Ali, uh, I'm here kidding. is that you know you said you said this Camille. You said people we, we like to lionize. We like to sort of make people into martyrs after they die. It's kind of true. It depends on who it is. This is true. Because now when people die, if they're of a certain political persuasion, a certain hue, depends on what it is, <laughs> you know, you'll find the problematic thing. So I was thinking the other day, after David Bowie died, there's this whole thing that, which is, well, by the way, isn't true. And I've dug this up and I was going to write about it, decided not to, that he, you know, committed statutory rape. And this 30,000, let 30,000 articles bloom about this. <laughs> um, when Eric Clapton dies... 
I guarantee oh, you the, the, the National Front speech, which he gave drunkenly at a concert in the 70s about how much he hated immigrants and it should be not for the wogs and it should be for the white people in the UK, uh, which he apologized for, it will be remembered the same thing Elvis Costello. Elvis Costello's N-word. Yeah, 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 who said that uh, um, uh, drunkenly uh, at, at a... Ray Charles, Yeah, right? Ray yeah. Charles. Um, <laughs> You know, so that stuff is what what will be remembered for certain people because we like to do that. Ali is different. So, I mean, but this is the the sanctification of Ali has been a long time coming. Mm -hmm. 1999, there was a great film, which I watched the other day, uh, called When We Were Kings, about Mm -hmm. the rumble in the jungle. There's a lot of stuff in that that is left on the cutting room floor Mm -hmm. that is very, very political. Ali wants to talk politics all the time. He's in an interview in the UK. You can find it on YouTube when people ask him about boxing. It's mid seventies, and he says, I, "Why you ask me about? Oh, let's talk about other things. Let's talk about race." And he goes on this whole thing about you know the red birds should stay with the red birds, and the blue birds with the blue birds, and the races shouldn't 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 mix, and the rest of it. So the the idea that the Nation of Islam stuff um, affected him and should be be forgotten about, um, I disagree with. But the idea also that he changed his tune is true, and we mm-hmm. should recognize that in 1984 um, he denounced Farrakhan. But this existed in Ali long after. And in 2001, December of 2001, there was a fundraiser. No one pointed this out, by the way. Thomas Hauser, a guy who wrote a great, great book about Ali, uh, has this in his book. 2000, December 2001, he says hey, there's a there's a um, fundraiser for the Muhammad Ali Foundation, whatever. And Ali gets up on stage, much to the horror of his wife, and he tells two jokes. Does anyone remember <laughs> this? No. And he said the first joke he said he said, um, uh, "What's the difference between a Jew and a canoe? A canoe tips." Oof. And to kind of gasp from the audience. And then he did, this is true. This is, this is something, the, the, the primacy of race in, in his life. Uh-huh. In a fundraiser, this is what he brought up. And then the next joke was, uh, you'd say, okay, anti-Semitic joke, Nation of Islam, he's kind of weird about it. Mm. Um, and the next joke was, you know, there's a, 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 a black a Mexican and somebody else in a car who's driving, the answer is the police. This is, Ali said this in mm-hmm. 2001, December of 2001. And this, these ideas of race stuck with him for a very long time. And should we remember that? A little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that what we should remember about Ali is that he was one of the greatest fighters of all time. And to watch him fight Ken Norton, to watch him uh, fight, you know, either Rumble and Jungle, uh, uh, Thrill in Manila, yeah. all this stuff. Go back and watch those. One of the greatest fighters. I absolute poetry to watch him. And he was a funny man, an interesting man. Sure. But the to, to, to kind of expunge all of that, which I think a lot of people have done, and say, well, he changed. Hmm. I mean, he did, sure. But, you know, bad views should, should, should still be sort of aired and why uh, one became a member of the NOI. And uh, believed a lot of sinister things. So anyway, that's my my cap on the Ali rant. I, I I like that. And actually, I'm gonna pivot quickly to some idiot wrote this, oh. uh, which we will do uh, with with some quick efficiency here. Um, once again, it's Ta-Nehisi Coates. Oh, um, here we go. You should just change it to Ta-Nehisi Coates. Wrote this. <laughs> that's no, 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 no. I mean, look, everything he writes is an awful. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah but he uh, he went after Bob Costas, um, who actually talked about Muhammad Ali and yeah. uh, Bob Costas in, in making what were generally complimentary remarks about Ali um, also suggested that his original name, Cassius Clay, was not a slave name. Um, now, I, I would actually probably agree with Ta-Nehisi in, in this much. Um, Cassius Clay was, you can go read Ta-Nehisi's piece at The Atlantic. I'm not going to, 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 to restate um, all of it here. Um, but 
Cassius Clay is a slave name in the sense that Cassius Clay was, in fact, a slave owner. He was also someone who thought the institution of slavery was morally repugnant. The fact of the matter is that at the time, if you if you inherit slaves, for example, you can't just give them away without ruining yourself financially if there are like payments to be made or some other circumstances. At any rate, um, what Ta-Nehisi really detests uh, is that, as he as he says at the end of his piece, um, Bob Costas, uh, Bob Costas needs to be all loud and, and the smug chorus of, well, actually, that must dog us all into our very grave. Um, actually, I read that wrong. Unfortunately, none of that could save Ali from Bob Costas. He needs to be all loud and smug. And this smug chorus well, of, well, actually, must dog us into our very graves. Actually, it's so oddly written that I cannot read that story. It always yeah. is. It always is. It al- I don't understand wow. this at all. But, but, actually, it, but, in e- yeah. but in either case, just this, this notion that, well, actually, smug chorus of, well, actually, dude, do you not see what you're doing here? Yeah. Does he not read his own stuff? <laughs> do you I mean, not? Do you not? It, just this very article. I know. It's precisely his well, well actually, actually to well actually. Well actually it's yeah. well actually squared, which yeah. apparently is okay. Yeah, neither point is 100% wrong or 100% right. Yeah. You know, like like Costas did oversimplify, and to counter that, uh, TNC did as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. look, I mean, I, I read the thing, and it's like, okay, he has a point. I see, mm-hmm. I see his mm-hmm. point. But, I mean, I think that Costas is well actually uh-huh. is the idea that Really, I mean, this is not what Costas is saying. This is what I'm saying. Is that is that whether it's the Holocaust, whether it is slavery, uh, whether it is you know Native Americans, right. and genocide, and really, really horrible historical events. We tend to, for political reasons, strip of all nuance. That's right. The idea that there is no nuance in slavery, just that sentence makes my skin crawl. Yeah. And the fact that that it is a it is morally reprehensible from beginning to end, but that somebody was uh, you know, owned slaves and was morally opposed to slavery is sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. Right? It's something it's not, I yeah. mean it does it does not mean that that we sort of appreciate this institution or whatnot. And the same thing is true when when, you know, the Holocaust, et cetera. The, these things are nuanced. I don't know if that's Costas's point, but you know, he's saying it's 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 not. I mean, in a way, I think in a way he's trying to get yeah. at it, but it's yeah. a it's a point that might be a little a little too big for the context in which he yeah. was speaking. I would have personally sat that one out. Yeah, <laughs> Costas, I wouldn't. Have oh yeah, that yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I would I would have gone there. And, I'm, and look, I, I give kudos to anyone who's willing to go there. And to to Ta-Nehisi's credit, uh, he does say. Um, uh, in the same piece that Clay, well, he's actually criticizing Costas when he does it, but the sentiment is there that Clay can't be brave and and a complicated human being. That Costas won't allow him to be mm-hmm. a brave and complicated human being. No, that's that's precisely the point. I think that is precisely what Bob Costas was trying to get at. That th- these things are complicated, and I frequently find myself in the position of sell- saying to people um, that you can, in fact, exaggerate the severity of slavery. And the the characteristics of slavery, colonial slavery in the United States, and that exaggerating it in perhaps not the same way, but an important way um, is a bad idea for the same reasons, for a lot of the same reasons anyways, um, that uh, underestimating how important it was. You know, and one final is. point on this is that if things are... Unless, unless Fisher has one. It, well, I mean, I mean, one final... You may want to sit this I out, may, I mean, one final, final point for one. me. And by the way, it's advisable that everybody sits aside because <laughs> you just step on landmines. But the, 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 the thing about this is really interesting is that, you know, when you have hideous historical realities... 
you tend not to you tend to assume or think that you need no historical knowledge to opine on them. So right. for instance, when somebody says what happened to the Native Americans, I challenge anyone at that point mm. to be specific about anything. Yeah. And they might be broadly right, and they mm. are broadly right, by the way, is that is that nobody has any sense of what any of that means. They just know it's true and they know that it's our original sin and we should denounce it at all at all sort of possibilities. It is not I mean, nobody who talks about, about slavery, I mean Tony Z, by the way, knows this stuff very well. I mean he's he he's read and he's read and he's read, and I give him an enormous amount of credit on that. But you know, I don't believe that most of the people who are chiming in on this have read sort of Roll, Jordan, Roll, The World That the Slaves Made, yeah. which, by the way, is a fantastic book. I, I've read it. Thanks. And it's really, really good. The Eugene Genovese book, which, by the way, is a Marxist book. And he became <laughs> kind of a right-winger at the end of his life, uh, as did his wife, Elizabeth Fox Genovese. But this, there, it, knowledge isn't required because all you have to do is morally posture and say this is aggressive horrible. signaling. And it it yeah, is aggressive horrible. Signaling. On that point, I think that the uh, Tanahisi's uh, major objection was the use of the word abolitionist. Because right. if you see in, in, in his piece, he parses. He goes, "Well, abolitionists were on this side of the anti-slavery." Yeah. Uh, uh, what is, Spectrum, mm -hmm. you know, and and so again, a, a word so, that, that well, meant that, that meant something 150 years ago yeah. doesn't mean the same in the historical context. I is think the, that's right. Yeah, like like racist, yeah. which at this point means pretty much anything that you don't like that's sort of generally related to race, but is still um, about as bad as what Bull Connor did. And on that note. Now that I've defined racism in a new and, and powerful way for you. Yeah. I love how we solve these things. We're going to yeah. get out of here. Yeah, uh, thank you for uh, joining us this week. Um, I want to see reviews on iTunes. And in fact, I don't want to just see reviews. I want you to make up stuff in your reviews. Talk oh, yeah. about what a great interview we did with Kanye West. Oh. Give I, us five stars and do that thing right now. And yeah. you should read uh, my Ali piece on Reason.com. Yes, and go read it. Tag Camille and I on yeah, uh, and Twitter. And then comment in it at the bottom and say, Fisher, this I don't is read ridiculous. The, I don't read the comments, but I, I may read your tweets. I read, I read <laughs> the comments. Thank you. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next week, right? I'll see you whenever. Well, yeah, I think we will see them next week. I, I, I want to see them next week. Right. He was right. magnificent. We, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column.